You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Ezra. Here's Nate. Well, if the first half of the book of Ezra is all about the rebuilding of the temple of God, then Ezra chapter 7 through 10 is all about the rebuilding of the people of God. Zerubbabel, of course, had led 49,000 plus individuals into uh, Israel for the rebuilding of the temple. But in between Ezra chapter 6 and 7, there is a 60-year almost gap of time. In that gap of time, the book of Esther more than likely occurred. But after those 60 years of silence in the book of Ezra, Ezra himself, our author, finally shows up onto the scene. And he is there not to rebuild the temple, for Zerubbabel has already led the charge in rebuilding the structure. But the people of God had waned in their devotion to the Lord. The spiritual temperature in Israel was at an all-time low. And Ezra, as a priest and as a scribe, a teacher, would come to instruct the people in the word of God, the law of God, hold it out for them as a mirror so that conviction might come into their hearts and lives and that they might walk with the Lord uh, once again. Now, beyond Esther happening in chapter, between chapter 6 and 7, it's also highly probable that the book of Malachi, the prophet and prophecies of Malachi, ran concurrently with the ministry of Ezra, which is so interesting because when you read of Malachi's ministry, you read of a man who was rebuking uh, the defiled priesthood, the corruption of marriages, intermarrying with the nations around them, the neglect of the tithes and the offerings, and, you know, people who were going through religious rituals and motions, but whose heart was far uh, from God. And that was the environment that Ezra was walking into here in Ezra chapter 7. Now, in the first five verses, we have from Ezra his genealogy. It says, now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzai, son of Bukai, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, uh, the priest. Now, here, obviously, the point of this genealogy mostly is to show a basic ancestry which gets Ezra all the way back to Aaron, the brother of Moses, the original high priest. Now, that would uh, be encouraging to the people to know that this man had that credential on his resume. Now, it should be stated that this genealogy isn't a an every single generation genealogy, as is often the case in biblical genealogies. Uh, you can say son of and not mean the actual son, but the grandson or the great-grandson. You can skip a generation or two. And here the first person, Sariah, is actually not Ezra's father or even his grandfather, but more than likely his great grandfather who was killed by ne King Nebuchadnezzar at the original 
uh, deportation uh, to Babylon. And there are other great men uh, and biblical men, men that we know a thing or two about in, uh, in Ezra's uh, genealogy. Uh, Hilkiah, for instance, in verse 2, was the high priest under Josiah. Zadok, also in verse 2, was a priest under David. Uh, and Solomon eventually appointed him as the chief priest in place of Abiathar, who had uh, supported uh, the rebellion of Adonijah. And so these men are not obscure to us in the Old Testament, but the line is pointing to the reality that Ezra was an ancestor of uh, Aaron. Now this Ezra, verse 6, went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Now, I think in these first six verses, we see three key ingredients to this man, Ezra, and his powerful ministry, ingredients that translate into our modern era. First of all, he was just simply called. That's why he was in the particular family that he was in. God wanted to use this man, and so he made him into a direct ancestor of Aaron. Uh, beyond being called, however, he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. And I'll talk about that particular thing in a moment. But here, I just want to point out the skill that he had acquired. God had put him in that position. God had called him. But this was a man who took the responsibility seriously and cultivated that skill in understanding the word of God before the Lord. And beyond just being called and uh, cultivating and being faithful with the skill that God had given to him, it tells us here that he had great favor from King Artaxerxes, that the king granted him all that he asked. And if we've learned anything from the book, book of Ezra so far, it's that God is sovereignly leading the affairs of mankind and of the lives of his own people. And so this means that Ezra had fallen under the grace of God. And to be called by God, to have a skill that you are faithful to cultivate before God, and to have the grace of God upon your life, the favor of God upon your life, these are three wonderful ingredients to an effective ministry before the Lord. Now, as I mentioned, beyond just being a uh, priest, Ezra was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. Of course, this was an era uh, pre-printing press. The written word was hard to come by. And so there would be these copyists, these scribes who would take a document and painstakingly with great attention to detail and every word and accuracy would copy the written word. And as intense as it would have been in general to have that kind of job, when it came to being a scribe in Israel concerning the law of Moses, the word of God, the attention to detail was all the higher. And so Ezra, not only was he a priest, but he was a man who had become very familiar with the word of God, just writing it down over and over and over again. And I think it speaks of the importance of being a person who saturates yourself with the word of God, 
I mean, even what you're doing right now and listening to the word of God being read and briefly explained, a few exhortations attached to those explanations, trying to patch together scripture with scripture and understand how it all works together and points towards Jesus. These are things that take a lifetime in so many ways to master and to learn. But to allow these things, to allow the word of God to penetrate into your life and into your heart. I remember early on in my Christian life, my walk with the Lord, at 18 years old, I began listening to Pastor Chuck Smith teach from Genesis to Revelation. And nothing flashy in particular about his teaching style, but so rich, so pointed, so clear. And as I just listened to teaching after teaching after teaching, there were many times that uh, I didn't fully understand and many things that I forgot almost as soon as I heard them. But in general, there was this washing that was taking place, this changing of my own heart, this uh, move of God that was working inside of me where my mind was beginning to work and to think in biblical kinds of ways and with biblical kinds of terms. It takes work. It takes effort. And this man, Ezra, used mightily by God because he was a man of the word of God. Now, there at the close of verse 6, we see that the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And as I mentioned, this speaks of the favor of God upon his life. And uh, this is the first of eight times in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that the mention of God's hand being on Ezra or Nehemiah is recorded uh, for us. And it's a real unique sort of theme to the lives of these two men, the hand of the Lord uh, upon our lives and speaks of the favor of God. And I think the favor of God, not just in general, but in the face of adverse conditions, these men just continued to plow, continued to work and uh, put their heads down in part because the hand of the Lord, his God was on him. It, I think, speaks of the kind of relationship with God that someone who's planting a church or pioneering a new work needs to have, just the hand of God upon their lives. And there went up also to Jerusalem, verse 7, in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And so you have here a list of people who were going with Ezra on his journey to Jerusalem. You have, uh, you know, the workers for the temple. They needed to get that fired up once again. Priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants, but also just some of the people of Israel, just common Israelites who wanted to be a part of this revival. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, verse 8, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. Once again, that phrase, the hand of God upon the life of Ezra. So here in verse eight and nine, we have a record of the four month, 900 mile journey that Ezra took with these people. And here we don't have a lot of details about this trip. We'll see the details when we get to the, ch the uh, eighth chapter. 
But here we see that they traveled fairly slowly, seven to eight miles per day. This would have been because of the women and the children and the livestock that were with them. They weren't traveling at a rapid uh, pace, but they went and the hand of the Lord was upon him for verse 10. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Uh, Ezra's heart was set towards something. He devoted himself. He set his heart firmly toward something. And the thing that he set his heart toward was the study of the law of the Lord. And I've found that one of the necessary ingredients for a person to really be used mightily by the Lord is to have some kind of internal compass, some kind of motivation that is inward, an inward drive that propels them towards the work of God in their lives. A set heart, a devotion that is firm. Not to say that there won't be times of discouragement or doubt, times where a man or a woman might not feel as if it's time to move on or to hang it up. Oh, those feelings will come because the devil is real and spiritual attack is real. But to, for a person to be used by the Lord, there has to be this conviction that comes upon their heart to really understand and know that this is something that God has called me uh, to do. And he had set his heart specifically to study the law of the Lord. He was a student of God's word. He had a voracious appetite for the Bible, wanted to hear it, wanted to know about it. But beyond that, verse 10, also to do it. There's no room for hypocrisy in the work of the Lord. You know, it's one thing to have talent or gifts or abilities, but it's another thing to be a genuine believer, a genuine, solid Christian man or woman. I was just talking with a young man recently who is feeling the call of God upon his life, and he's a good man. A good man. But as we spoke together, there were just certain gaps in his armor, a few things that uh, became apparent as we talked. And I was just encouraging him, listen, it's not so much about all of your ability and your strength to do this or that for the Lord. You certainly have an attractiveness and a giftedness in the things that you're doing for the Lord. But what the Lord really is desiring in order especially to have a longevity in the work that occurs through your life is that you would be a person who is personally godly, that the things that you share and teach would come out, not just of your studies, but that they would come out of your life, that there would be this thing that you, you are living the thing that you are preaching. And that was Ezra. He wanted to do it. Before he then, thirdly, verse 10, taught the statutes and the rules in Israel. Now, in verse 11, we have a copy of the letter that Ezra was uh, given from King Artaxerxes detailing uh, the hand of God upon Ezra's life and the permission that Artaxerxes gave. This is a copy, verse 11, of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, verse 12, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests 
or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you, for you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And so this King Artaxerxes now begins his letter, uh, basically detailing certain permissions that he was giving to Ezra to return to Jerusalem. I love there in verse 12 that the way that he describes himself uh, really was a title that the Assyrian kings used uh, and because their empire uh, had uh, incorporated so many other kingdoms and empires. And uh, Artaxerxes refers to himself as the king of kings. And uh, the rabbis then began applying that title to God himself. And we now speak of Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, for our benefit, what we're observing, of course, once again, is the hand of God moving yet another king for his purposes. We've had Cyrus and Darius and Nebuchadnezzar. Here we have Artaxerxes. In the New Testament, there would be times that God used Herod and Pilate and others for the overall move of the kingdom of God here uh, on earth. And so Artaxerxes gives this decree. And freedom number one in verse 13 was that anyone in his kingdom who wanted to go to Jerusalem could go, could travel uh, with Ezra and uh, verse 15 also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem with this money then you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. In other words, here, you know, here's all of this gold and silver and uh, you know, you use it to buy bulls and rams and lambs and grain and drink offerings. And if you have anything left over, please don't write me to ask uh, what you should do with it. You spend as you decide uh, and choose. And so they had freedom here already to go to Jerusalem. Now, verse 15, they have freedom to acquire from the kingdom silver and gold. A huge donation is going to be listed in a moment. And then freedom number three is that they, when they got there, were allowed to offer sacrifices on the altar. And then, of course, as I already mentioned, the fourth freedom to spend and decide as they chose with any uh, extra that was left over that had not been spent. The vessels, verse 19, that you have been that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And so what you have here is just this incredible uh, blank check in so many ways. He says he uses the word whatever else is required. 
But we see this other beautiful freedom there in verse 19, that they were allowed to take back the utensils that Nebuchadnezzar had already uh, previously uh, taken with the Babylonians back into Babylon at the initial destruction of Jerusalem. Now, some of these uh, vessels had returned during Zerubbabel's return, but apparently there were some vessels that had not uh, been completely returned, and so Ezra is allowed to take those. And I, verse 21, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the, of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much, which was very valuable, especially in those days, unlimited salt, uh, quite a gift from the king. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. And so freedom number six really is that they could have whatever they needed up to a particular limit. And the limits were set, you know, a hundred talents of silver, that's three and three quarters tons of silver, 100 cores of wheat, which would be 600 bushels, 100 baths of wheat, 600, uh, uh, 100 baths of wine, 600 gallons, 600 gallons of olive oil, and an unlimited supply of salt, which as I mentioned, especially in that era, would be incredibly uh, valuable. And all of this was done uh, with some kind of, it, it seems, spiritual motivation from King Artaxerxes. He says, let all these things be done for the house of the God of Israel, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. So it seems as if there was some kind of move of God upon the heart and the mind of King Artaxerxes. We also, and here he has this letter still, we also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. So the ministry workers would be free from taxes. And you, verse 25, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment, or for confiscation of his goods, or for imprisonment. So here you have all these royal judges who basically, you know, took care of crimes of capital punishment. Ezra was actually told that he could execute all of that according to Jewish Old Testament laws. So they have the full protection of the king, the full authority of the king. And Ezra really, in so many ways, is... Uh, acquiring, because of his request, a kingdom once again. Not that he's going there to be king and not that they are being given sovereignty, but they're allowed to conduct affairs exactly as God's word had asked them to conduct 
affairs. And Ezra's response to all of this is beautiful. He says, blessed be the Lord, verse 27, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of my Lord was the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Notice who Ezra gives all the credit to. He credits the Lord. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers. It's God who put this thing into the heart of the king. But now we've already learned that all of this was done in response to Ezra's request. And I have to believe that what we're dealing with here in the life of Ezra is a man who is not just a man willing to make a bold request to an earthly king, but I believe that we're dealing with a man of prayer, that he had been crying out to the God of Israel, whether it had been for years or for months or for days, but this man must have been a man of prayer, a man who cried out to the Lord in private and asked God to move in this kind of way, perhaps even praying that God would put this thing into the heart of King Artaxerxes. And so a great blessing uh, for Ezra, and he blesses the Lord in worship, in response. He knew uh, that this great gift was not just from Artaxerxes, but that it was from God. James 1, verse 16 and 17, we know that every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so he just absolutely rejoices over what the Lord had done in stirring the heart of Artaxerxes. Now, again, as we saw previously in Ezra chapter three in the previous generation in verse 28, Ezra rejoices over the love of God when he says, God extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. And when Ezra says that, he's not just rejoicing that God is a God of love. He's rejoicing in the covenantal love of God for his people. And Ezra's rejoicing because he says, look, I found myself once again under the covenantal love of of God. Isn't this wonderful? The promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob uh, and to the early ancestors after the Exodus, these promises, they have been extended to me, to our era and to my uh, life. And so as a result of all of this, all of this favor, this letter from Artaxerxes, the hand of God upon his life, Ezra records and says, I took courage. First person, I took courage for the hand of my of the Lord my God was on me. And what does he do in taking courage? Well, the first thing he does, he says, I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. He began to recruit a team, build a team for the work of the ministry. And so these open doors in Ezra's life, that favor of God, 
it just emboldened him for the work. And this is often the case when a man or a woman sees God open a door. There is often courage that comes in as a result of that wonderful thing that God has begun uh, to do. And so when he saw that God was working through his life, he was emboldened for the task. It's an, it's, a, it's an incredibly addictive thing to experience God working through your life. And once you sense it, once you see the look in someone else's eyes as a result of what the Holy Spirit is doing through you, it stirs within you so often this desire to do more. You take courage. You move out and continue in the work of God upon your life. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.